This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue, and if you've had your focus elsewhere, Sean Fitz, no longer my co-host here on the podcast, no longer with Lions 24-7, no longer with 24-7 Sports. Uh, Sean brought that up at the end of our last episode. I know if you missed these episodes, if you're not always at Lions247.com, that may have gone under your radar. I know many of you can't believe that someone by now wouldn't realize this happened, but it did. We move forward. We focus forward the last few days of April. Bit of a going away party for Mr. Fitz on our message boards at Lions247.com, but we've got work to do. I've got some new teammates to talk to here in, in just a moment. One new teammate, I should say, and one veteran one. Uh, but first, few recruiting notes. Uh, Tamir Robinson, Rodney Gallagher, two of Pennsylvania's premier prospects in the 2023 recruiting class, each confirming they plan to use official visits at Happy Valley during the weekend of June 17th to 19th as does Tony Rojas, the four-star linebacker out of Virginia, Fairfax, Virginia, to be specific. We've talked about him a lot as one of the priority targets on the defensive side of the football. Just three of them, and you start adding some more names to that June 17th to 19th weekend and what's being planned there. Got some stuff over at lines247.com about how that weekend is shaping up, some other official visits that are coming together. Penn State put out a long-distance offer on Monday, and by the end of the day, uh, a Texas standout decided he was going to make an official visit up to Penn State. We will get into that a lot deeper on our next episode. Brian Doan, the extraordinary national recruiting analyst here at 24-7 Sports, will join us for a long conversation, catching up on where Penn State stands with several of their top targets and share his thoughts on some of their more recent commitments in a top five class nationally right now. But it's time to bring in those teammates that I mentioned. Uh, let's get into it with Mark Brennan, Daniel Gallen. I think everyone out there very familiar with Mark Brennan, been covering this team and this beat just about as long as anyone we share the press box with. And uh, the last few years, a teammate at Lions247.com, of course. And then Daniel Gallen, who just joined us last week and thrown into the frying pan for your first week. It was a little bit of a busy one at Lions247.com. A lot of things happening. You came out the other side. Hopefully you're feeling a little more settled, Daniel. And we're happy to have you on board and have you on this podcast. Yeah, it's great to be here, Tyler and Mark. I, I don't know if we're going to have a, a new athletic director and an NFL draft every week, but uh, I'm sure it's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting and uh, it's going to be busy. The plan here on the podcast is to uh, basically be joined by a rotation of folks from my in, our in staff, uh, from our insight staff guys like Mark and Daniel to our twenty four seven national recruiting analysts and regional recruiting analysts and and Chris Summer guys like that uh, who, who have that scope on college football and of course keeping it local here at Penn State you'll continue to hear from commits uh, from prospects uh, whatever is happening over the next few months it's the off season it's hard to tell on a week by week basis we will react accordingly have guests accordingly and try to carry the conversation through into August preseason camp. Um, let's start with you, Mark, because look, uh, it's been a lot of while since we had you on the podcast. I want to say since before spring ball, you were on with Sean and I. Um, busy week at lines247.com. We're happy to have Daniel. Uh, and obviously, uh, me and you sticking around as well. 
Yeah, first of all, huge shout out to Sean Fitz. I mean, the great job that he did uh, building the site, uh, the community. I mean, that's the word that I like to use because it's true. It is a community. And and really, Sean, we went from being competitors to being teammates, and now he's moving on. Wish him and family nothing but the best, as expected. When he walked away, complete class act. If you saw his post, if you saw what he had to say, uh, love the job Lance did last week. Uh, with the with the little graphic, uh, you know, everybody a little bit emotional, completely understandable. Uh, but listen, Sean, his family, great people, great members of the Lions two four seven community and the State College community. So wish them nothing but the, but but the best. But yeah, we're excited about where the site's going. Glad to have Daniel coming on board, and we'll be adding another recruiting person uh, in a few weeks. The, stay tuned. Uh, so a lot of fun stuff going on. But I just really wanted to take one second. Wish wish Sean the best, and you know, congratulate him on just the absolutely awesome run he had here. Yeah, Mark mentioned it right there. We are going to be adding a, a full-time dedicated recruiting reporter to the site. Um, obviously, you know that I get involved there. It's something that Sean has done plenty of in the past. Uh, they're going to really sink their teeth into Penn State recruiting. Uh, they'll be with us here in a matter of weeks and on the podcast soon after that, I am sure. Um, excited about them. Can't talk about them by name quite yet. Um, but let's move forward, guys, because eight Penn State players heard their name called during the 2022 NFL Draft last weekend. Got started Thursday night. We saw a first-round pick off the board again for Penn State. A couple players off the board day two on Friday night. And then Saturday was a frenzy. We saw five players pick, five more players signed. And by the end of this thing, you go to bed Saturday and 13 rookies on rosters across the NFL that were on that Nittany Lions roster in 2021. Let's start at the top, fellas. Um, most for the program since 1996. And I want to present that to you, Mark, because you have covered all those draft classes 1996, those guys accomplished a ton, uh, obviously, with the program. Ten players selected, and here we are 26 years later, eight go off the board in 2022. Yeah, I remember in 96, Kajana Carter went out the previous year. So, I mean, he he went out early, so they could have had even more. That was a team that should have won a national title in 1994, I think was robbed of a national title. The thing that really jumped out to me about, about this class, and I think it flew under the radar a little bit, is the uh, the transfers who came into the program and what they did for themselves. There's two things. That, you know, you, know, you have a, an AK, you have a Brisker who comes in uh, as a JUCO transfer. Uh, you have a Stout who comes in as a transfer. Those guys ended up really improving their NFL stock. And then, you know, what a lesson it is, I think, for a lot of players who are who are thinking about making that jump but decide to come back to improve their draft stock when you see what Jahan Dotson did. I mean, when he decided to come back, the first thing he said to us was what? I mean, he, he made no bones about it. It's like, yeah, I, I think I could improve my draft stock. And for him to do that the way he did, I thought was absolutely awesome. We've talked about it a lot uh, on the site when, we've done, when I've done the podcast with you guys. Um, the job he did with the team during the 2020 season, he emerged as a leader – uh, a vocal leader uh, after with everything that was going on. He was an incredible player given how much Sean Clifford was struggling and that they didn't necessarily have other great receiving targets once Fryermuth went down. I mean, Parker Washington kind of stepped up. But even after all that, he's, he, he says, listen, I'm going to come back, made himself even better, and I was surprised he went as high as he did, but I'm happy he went as high as he did. I'm sad he's going to 
the hated Washington Commanders because I'm an Eagles fan, and I wonder what that Carson Wentz dynamics is going to be like. But he did well for himself, and it's just great to see. Daniel, you, of course, covered Jahan Dotson for Penn Live last season. Now you're covering Penn State for us. But what did you observe in your one year with Jahan um, and getting kind of uh, familiar with his game? Yeah, I think the one thing that really stood out about Jahan down the stretch was the fact that you knew that he was going to be the one who got the ball. Um, The way the offense had kind of struggled down the stretch, he was the one guy who could get the ball, make things happen. And anytime he had the ball in his hands, it could be a touchdown. And even then, he was still putting up the big numbers, still making plays. And I think that that's something that can really translate to the NFL. Obviously, there are some of those size concerns uh, 5'11", 184 on the roster last year. Um, I think he was the smallest of the six wide receivers to go in the first round. Um, but it was something we we're watching him. It never really stood out to you because he was able to make those catches. Uh, I mean, his highlight reel during the draft broadcast was super impressive. And I think that that's something that kind of gives you the the sign that, all right, he made things happen even when things weren't going 100% well that the things around him, there are some issues, but he was able to be consistent in that kind of environment. I think that bodes really well for Jahan at the next level. Kind of lost in the big spectacle that was Micah Parsons' draft day announcement back in December 2017 was Jahan Dotson officially flipping that commitment from UCLA to Penn State. Of course, there were a couple other blue chips uh, at the receiver position in that class, including the number one guy in our rankings at 24-7 Sports. Lo and behold, Jahan Dotson's the first receiver mentioned by James Franklin talking about that young crop during preseason camp in 2018. He ends up starting by the end of 2018. He never left the starting lineup, continued to get better and better and better. So he's off the board at number 16 to the Washington Commanders. Um, First off, this is the the first receiver to go in round one for Penn State since Bryant Johnson went to the Cardinals back in 2003. But this started off a a series of events that ended up seeing Penn State leading the entire Big Ten Conference in draft picks. I I think some people may be a little bit surprised to see that as the dust settled. But a big part of that was the storyline that several of these guys, including the next two we're going to get to, they were not homegrown talent like Jahan Dotson. They did not come here as freshmen and develop in the program. You had, uh, let's start with the next off the board, number 38 overall to the Atlanta Falcons at the top of, of round two. Arnold Ebikede, we documented that story quite well. He was about to be shut out of the FBS altogether coming out of high school. Ends up at Temple, uh, converts a, a transfer year into a monster season that gets him first team all Big Ten accolades. And then he's one of the top edge rushers heading into this thing. Going to the Falcons, uh, I know he was a, a fringe first rounder. I think at least a couple of us had him going late in round one in our projections. But what a remarkable path. And, and I'm excited to see what's coming because I think he's got a lot of room to grow as a defensive end. Yeah, I think that's a real positive for Penn State in terms of working that transfer portal as well. I mean, here's a guy who came and, you know, as you mentioned, was barely recruited out of high school and ends up turning himself into a high second round draft pick. You look at that Falcons depth chart and it really looks like he's going to have an opportunity opportunity to be a starter uh, right off the bat. So uh, I don't think it's a coincidence uh, that you see how well he played. And then this year, they're able to pluck another top defensive end uh, out of the portal. So that that thing is really important. You know, they have not gone crazy in the portal, but they've been very smart. James Franklin has said they are looking for the proper fits. And, and that's, what, that, that's where I'm getting back to what I mentioned earlier about 
guys coming in and not just taking guys for the sake of, 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 of building numbers, but getting guys, you know, are going to be productive And AK, I think is the great, you know, one of the best examples, obviously Brisker is a tremendous example from the Juco ranks as well. Yeah. I think ever Katie, when, when he gets to Atlanta is going to have plenty of opportunities. Um, you look at what they had coming back. I think their sack leader last year had four and a half sacks, that's a team that's just really devoid of talent and, and going through a bit of a rebuild. And I think when you look at the most valuable positions on the football field, the edge rusher spot, um, you know, we've seen it time and time again, where if you can get after the opposing quarterback, you can make a lot of good things happen for the defense. And Evicady was someone who was just a big time player. Uh, his, his first defensive snap, he has the tackle for loss at Wisconsin, helped seal that game. Um, it just felt like in, in the biggest games, he came up in, in the big spots and, I think that that's something that, while it doesn't necessarily translate one-to-one to the NFL, it kind of bodes well, uh, at least from sort of an, an intangible side. So he was someone where I thought that he might sneak into that first round, uh, which would be uh, quite the feather in the cap for Penn State after what they put into the first round last year. Um, but I think that when you look at landing spots, I think that Evicady will have a, a great chance to, to be an impact player and someone that you can point to when, when you're in the transfer portal talking to guys. You make a great point, Daniel, on when Evicady made his plays. There were some key moments, some of those field goal blocks that he that he got during the season, but he had a strip sack against Michigan that really put Penn State in a, in a very good spot late in that game at home in Beaver Stadium. They ended up losing the game, but he came up with some momentum-shifting plays. He had a sack in seven of his nine uh, Big Ten games, and, and, and wow, what a run, uh, proving a lot of people wrong who, who didn't take the flyer on him earlier, but we get it. He's a different guy now at 22, 23 than he was at 18 years old. Different circumstances – Met Jaquan Brisker coming out of high school, but he also didn't make that power five jump right off the bat. Took some time at Lackawanna College. Of course, that's been a friendly place for Penn State in terms of safeties. Got Jair Brown, might be the best player on this team on the defensive side of the football right now at Lackawanna. Tyrese Mills joining the safety room as well uh, later this year. But when you look at Jaquan Brisker, what he did, talk about betting on yourself. Brisker's a draftable prospect, maybe a day two guy last year. He comes back. He's an All-American. Now he goes off the board in round two, in the top half of round two, number 48 to the Chicago Bears. And this was another story that, um, you know, a guy who got to campus here three years ago um, went from being the number two safety to a starter and a starter and an All-American. And, you know, another storybook kind of journey like Arnold Abikede penned. Yeah, and then you also you, we already have seen the impact, uh, uh, you know, in, in terms of Jair Brown following in his footsteps, not only coming from Lackawanna to Penn State, but then making that decision that yeah, you know, I'm going to play one more year and make and improve my stock even more. You know, the interesting thing is I'm I'm looking at uh, some of these draft recaps, and and uh, Chicago some Chicago Bears fans are complaining that they didn't go out and get Justin Fields a receiver in the first two rounds. Listen, Chicago Bears fans, you have got an awesome safety and you ought to be happy. I would have loved if my beloved Eagles would have been able to snap him up because they need a safety. Uh, and, and but, but this is a guy who I think is ready-made to step in as a starter at the NFL level. He's great in coverage, physical, can tackle. He checks every one of those boxes. So I think there may be Bears fans who are complaining now. Uh, who in a year from now are going to have a little bit different feel about that. I don't know what their receiver situation is. I know Allen Robinson left, but I am telling you, Bears fan, that this guy is a player and you should be happy to have him. Yeah, I have, I have no doubt that he'll be a fan favorite. 
by you know midseason, end of the season in Chicago. Um, I think that his intangibles are something that's going to make him really appealing. And then just kind of the, the way he plays the game is just fun to watch. Another one of those guys with a knack for the big play, as we saw a couple times last year. But I think with Penn State and especially Jair Brown, the thing that'll be really interesting about Brisker's kind of long-term impact is the is that leadership side uh, after the blue white game uh, Jair Brown talked a lot about coming back because he wants to be that leader uh, he wants to step into the role that that Brisker had last year and I think that Jair Brown is is really suited to do that especially with how much the the defense is losing obviously PJ Mustafer coming back up front is a big presence uh, especially leadership wise but on the back end of that defense there's a lot of moving parts and Jair Brown is really going to have the opportunity to step up and kind of try to follow in Brisker's footsteps, both as a player and as a leader. And I think that that's a, a challenge that he's really excited about. So I think Brisker is one of those guys who who leaves the program. I was here for three years, but his impact is really going to, I think, trickle down through, especially as a lot of these freshmen that he was around as, as a fifth year senior kind of move up through the ranks. Brisker and Ebikadi off the board in round two. That was it for day two. Um, but it was the start of a really strong draft class defensively. Five guys off the board. Uh, a few more we'll get to. We're, we're quickly snapped up as undrafted free agents. Brent Pry, uh, now head coach at Virginia Tech. Uh, I saw he tweeted something early this week uh, congratulating those guys. Obviously, a lot of pride. He recruited uh, them to campus in, in every case, really. And, and then, of course, uh, coached many of them for several years. Um, but looking over to the next defensive player, it's Brandon Smith. And we, we knew there was going to be a bit of a gap, guys, coming after that top three um, and there was so you go from pick 48 with brisket of the bears and the weight lasted to pick 120 in round four where the carolina panthers matt rule scoop up brandon smith a polarizing figure in this penn state draft class it's come up on a lot of discussions here on the podcast uh, i'm curious to hear your takes on brandon smith where he fell kind of what you make of the former five star and, and how the exit door worked out with penn state yeah, we're kind of going in this order, Daniel. I'm sorry if I'm I'm going first every time, but it seems to be an easier way uh, to do it. I know it is for me. Uh, listen, what was the one thing? You know, we did our little uh, you know staff mock draft, and I think every one of us, in some form of another, said that Brandon Smith uh, just needed one coaching staff to fall in love with him uh, to, ha- to 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 get his opportunity. Uh, some of us thought it might have been a little bit earlier. Um, he was, he was a guy who, listen, honestly, it, it, he's a professional now. Uh, to, to, to be frank, he didn't have a great season last year. He just did not. I mean, uh, the production just wasn't where I think a lot of people expected it to be. Was that because he was moving positions from one linebacker spot to another? You know, I don't quite know. To me, he never has seemed like a quite natural football player. It doesn't like, like he just didn't have the instincts. But which coach ended up falling in love with him and deciding to take a chance? Matt Rule, uh, you know, former Penn State linebacker, walk-on linebacker, obviously a coach at Temple, coach at Baylor, uh, now with Carolina. W- was a little surprised Brandon Smith didn't know who Matt Rule was. I, I think you I think you want to know that. I think you need somebody to tell you, hey, this guy played at your alma mater, even if he was a walk-on, kind of an important guy. But from a testing perspective, he's fast, he's big, uh, quick. All of those things. So, you know, here's hoping that getting in a different system uh, is able to make it work. That's not a knock on the Penn State system because obviously it worked just fine for Micah Parsons and multiple other linebackers. But Brandon Smith is a guy with all the physical ability in the world. Uh, 
And now it's up to him to kind of translate that into on-field production. I think one of the bonuses for him is that even if he's not able to make an immediate impact, he could be a core special teams guy. I mean, he's that fast. He's that quick that he could play on all of the special teams, be a cover guy, you know, block, do whatever he needs to do. So I think that's going to give him a little bit of an advantage. I think Brandon Smith is going to benefit from kind of having the opportunity to get some fresh eyes on him um, to, to come into a, a coaching staff that, you know, runs a different kind of defense and, and might view him a little bit differently. Um, you know, at Penn State, he was kind of working his way up the pecking order of going from one linebacker spot to the next linebacker spot. And it was kind of the, the built in progression. But I think Phil Snow is a defensive coordinator that I've got a lot of respect for. I was around those Temple teams in, in Philadelphia in 2016 and was really impressed with what they did. And I think that when you talk about, you know, Brandon Smith is just a big fit guy uh, in terms of a lot of his NFL success is going to depend on if he landed somewhere with a good coaching staff that could develop him and maybe put him in, in the right place to succeed. And I think that Carol overall, there's some, you know, long-term who knows what the situation will look like in Carolina uh, with, with Matt rule and kind of the future there. But I think in the short term with Phil snow as a defensive coach with, with Matt rule kind of watching over things, I think that it could be a good spot for, for Brandon Smith to, you know, maybe take that next step that, some people were, were starting to see last year and it will be interesting to see, you know, when he's around kind of equal athletes um, where kind of on the margins uh, things are for him. But when you look at kind of overall fits, I mean, I think that he's someone that, you know, he has the talent to, to make things happen and you just kind of have to wait and see uh, from, from our perspective, at least. Next off the board was a specialist. Round four, very, very early for a specialist. The first punter selected in this draft was Jordan Stout. Of course, he was more than a punter to Penn State during his three years following that Virginia Tech transfer. But he goes 130 overall, so 10 picks after Brandon Smith. Uh, he is the fifth Penn State player off the board. And Stout, uh, I'll tell you what, talk about the, the guaranteed money he's getting as a specialist going into the league. That's an enviable position. He earned it, and I think it just speaks volumes about what Penn State got out of this guy and got out of the transfer portal. Before they got an Arnold Ebikade, Jordan Stout was pretty far and away their most impactful pickup out of the portal. Yeah, Daniel knows more about the Ravens, I think, because he spent some time in that area. So go ahead, Daniel. You you start off this one. Yeah, I, I think that Stout has the chance to become a fan favorite uh, in Baltimore. Uh, I grew up outside of Baltimore. My parents are still live outside of Baltimore. I'm not a Ravens fan now, um, but yeah, I mean, growing up, I saw plenty of Matt Stover jerseys. Whenever I'm home now, I see a lot of Justin Tucker jerseys. Uh, I've seen some Sam Cook jerseys, the the incumbent punter. Um, you know, the Ravens fans, they they just really love their specialists. And I think if, if Stout goes in, performs well, uh, that he's going to have a, a pretty good fan base there. I mean, it wouldn't be a surprise to see Stout jerseys. Uh, I think earlier today, the Ravens said he'll be wearing number 11. Uh, you'll see some purple number 11 jerseys uh, around the inner harbor uh, if if you're down there. But, I mean, that's a great situation for a specialist to go into. Um, John Harbaugh, obviously, is the former special teams coordinator. Uh, he has that background. Um, you know, Randy Brown as a came on as a kicking consultant in the late 2000s and has stuck around as an assistant. And he's regarded as one of the best. Um a couple of years ago, the Ravens were up in Philadelphia for, for joint practices and kind of after the fact, watching Sam Cook, Justin Tucker, Jake Elliott, Cameron Johnston, 
Um, I think Morgan Cox and, and Rick Lovato were the long snappers and just kind of watching those guys work after practice. Um, you know, everyone's getting Rita's uh, kind of hanging out, but those guys are, are still working. And it was, it was really interesting to see. And I think it was kind of informative to see how those special teams units in Baltimore have gotten so good. So I think Stout, it's, you know, you almost couldn't ask for a better situation with him. Um, obviously there's a little dynamic there with Sam Cook being owed a lot of money um, and kind of how, how that'll shake out in terms of the roster battle. But I think overall, I mean, I think when you look at fits uh, in this draft class, I think that this might be the, the best marriage between player and team. Yeah, when Daniel said Rita's, he meant Rita's water ice, not margaritas. <laughs> Although they may have been, they may have been down in some mar- margaritas after some of those uh, some of those summer workouts. Yeah, the, the thing, one of the things I like doing is uh, going and check out checking out different teams' contract situations for where some of the Penn State draftees are going. And as Daniel noted, uh, I think Cook is owed three million dollars this year. He has a cap hit of three million. I don't know what he's owed, uh, but that's a pretty big number, and he's in the last year of his deal. So I'm not sure that it would be all that surprising, you know, if if Stout ends up getting an opportunity. And if not, I mean, I think he would be the guy moving forward. And also, I think even with a, a guy who has as great a leg as Tucker, we see with a lot of these older kickers, uh, that's why I thought he might have an opportunity to go uh, to San Francisco uh, with Robbie Gold. Uh, with a lot of these older kickers, they like to give them a little bit of a break and let somebody else kick off. And obviously that's something Jordan Stout can do. And it was interesting that at pro day, the only thing that the scouts wanted him to do because he kicked at the combine was hold. It was kind of wild to see at pro day. It's like, when, when's he going to kick? And all he was, they were snapping to him and he was holding. But that's, uh, that's why I think he went so high is because he is a, he's a multiple weapon. And as limited as those NFL rosters are, you know, how many times have we seen a kicker get banged up and a linebacker has to go out there and try an extra point or something uh, to have that sort of player? I think that's that, that I think that was a great pick uh, by Baltimore. Number one, I think it would have been a really good pick by anybody who needed a specialist either this year or next year. But to have that sort of flexibility, I just think is outstanding. And that's why I think Stout went higher than the kid from the West Coast, who I think had better punting numbers but I don't know is as versatile as Stout is. And, and, and you've mentioned Cook a few times. Going to be 40 years old before this season starts. And talk about a, a nice succession plan. They drafted him in round six in 2006. They've had the same punter employed since then. Now you draft one 16 years later. That's, that's nice work if you're an NFL franchise figuring that position out. Um, moving forward, back into the defensive conversation, the San Francisco 49ers end up getting Tariq Castro-Fields in round six at pick 221. Had to wait a little bit longer than I think um, we all anticipated. Uh, not, not He didn't have a, a drop in around seven. It was very close. I think it was the last pick of round six. Um, but in, in Tariq Castro-Fields' case, we talked about it. Played a ton of football for Penn State, but wasn't available for significant portions of his career, particularly more recently. Um, and that's something that was going to stick with him uh, throughout this draft process. Yeah, it's unfortunate because, uh, you know, I, I think when he was completely healthy, he was a pretty good player. You know, I know there were instances, but that's kind of the, the nature of the beast at cornerback where your mistakes are going to be that much more magnified. But I think day in and day out, when healthy, he was a consistent player, tested really well at the combine. Uh, but listen, I think when it, when it, it gets to a position that's that competitive and there were a ton of cornerbacks taken, they look for every little thing to differentiate. And when you're banged up as much as he was, 
that's going to work against you. Again, I think he's another guy who can be a core special teams guy, and those are the things that help you make rosters. That that okay. And I, I also think he has some flexibility in where he can play in the secondary. Uh, I you know they talked a lot about potentially using him as a nickel at Penn State. They never really did it that I remember, unless I'm unless I'm forgetting. But I know that there was discussion of doing it. So I think they could put him in a bunch of different spots back there. But I think being able to get things done on special teams will be his key to making a roster. Yeah, I thought coming out of the combine, the fact that he ran four three eight in the forty was was pretty big for him in, in terms of projecting him forward as a special teamer because you want that speed, you want to be able to get to get down the field, whether it's kickoff coverage or, or punt coverage. So I, I was kind of surprised that he lasted that long, especially after he he posted that forty time in Indy. But I think that when you talk about landing spots, I think San Francisco is is a pretty good one for Tariq Castro Fields. Uh, every time you turn on the 49ers, they kind of have a, an assortment of, uh, of defensive backs, safeties, cornerbacks that, you know, sometimes if you know, I'm not really a hardcore NFL fan anymore, but they, they seem to kind of come out of nowhere. They get these guys developed. I think D'Amico Ryans is a great defensive coordinator, and I think that that's also a, a place that kind of values special teams. So I think Tariq Castro Fields, will, he'll have his chance with the 49ers. Um, obviously last pick of the sixth round, it was uh, a little bit later than, than a lot of us projected, but I think that he's, he's in a position like most of these guys where you're going to have to work for it, but there will be some opportunities. It seems like every year when we evaluate a Penn state draft class, there's a surprise of sorts, whether it's a guy that goes earlier than we expected, Troy Apke, for instance, a few years back, or a guy that, that slides further than we expected. I guess it was maybe foolish for us to know what to expect with Rashid Walker, considering his absence on the field and his status as an observer at Pro Day and at the NFL Scouting Combine. But even with that information and knowing he was recovering from an injury, considering his status as a three-year starter at left tackle um, and, and where his stock was for the draft this time last year uh, by, by, you know, a lot of that feedback to see him go at pick number 249 in round seven. And, and a lot of us wondering if Rashid Walker would hear his name late on Saturday, he's going to the green Bay Packers. They could potentially have a major bargain on their hands as an offensive lineman in Rashid Walker. But I think the fact that so many teams chose to pass on him in the rounds that they chose to do so says a lot about where Rashid Walker may be right now from an injury recovery and says a lot about what he put on the field and on the film in some of those big matchups in 2021. Yeah, he had a tough year last year. I mean, it just he he just didn't play as well as I think he probably even he expected. And then when you you miss, I think it was the last three games uh, with an injury, and then are unable to work out at uh, the combine and at pro day. Again, you know, we talked about it with the cornerbacks. Obviously, offensive tackle is a, a, a prime position. And again, they are looking for every little thing to differentiate and they're, they're not, you know, I thought he was going to go in the fifth round. I think some of us had him going in the fourth round, uh, did not envision him sliding because I think the physical tools are there, you know, green Bay, I, I took a look at their depth chart and they have a lot of offensive linemen. Uh, Michael Mennett is actually on that team. Um, but I, I, I'm hoping that he's in a position where he can quote unquote redshirt because the physical tools are there. He has the size, he has the athletic ability, long arms, all of those things, all of those things that people were seeing when they were projecting him when last year that he was very high in all those mock drafts, those things are still there. 
So hopefully he gets in a position where they could stash him on a practice squad, allow him to redshirt, because I think the I think the 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 talent and the physical ability is there for him to be a good offensive lineman. It's just again, when, when you're unable to work out, what are they supposed to base everything on? I know he put a lot on film. But, hey, they want to see you run. I mean, they want to see you jump. They want to see you test. They want to see you do all those things, and he was unable to do any of it, which was unfortunate for him because he's a good guy. Wish him nothing but the best. Yeah, it, a lot of things seem to really be conspiring against Rasheed Walker when, when you go across the year, and it felt like it all kind of snowballed and ended up the confluence of factors ends up with him going in the seventh round. I think I had him at the end of the third round uh, in our in our projections, and I was very far off on that, but – when you talk about situations to be walking into, I, I think that this is a, a pretty good one. The Packers have been taking a lot of swings on offensive linemen in the later rounds. Um, they've also dealt with a lot of injuries at that position the last couple of years. So you've seen some of these late round picks get the opportunity to play. Um, so I think that it will be interesting. Obviously, the expanded practice squads help Rashid Walker a lot that a team like the Packers is probably more likely to, to carry him on the practice squad, let him develop and then kind of see where they can go, where they can go from there. So it's going to be really interesting to see how he kind of projects forward, um, whether or not this last year was, was an aberration or if it's kind of what, what normal will be for, for him moving forward. Only two Penn State linemen on the offensive side of the football signed uh, during the James Franklin era have rated more highly in 24-7 sports rankings, one of which you just mentioned, uh, Michael Mennett, uh, and the other on the roster now, Landon Tangwall, Rashid Walker, number three on that list, a top 50 prospect coming out of high school, um, 32 consecutive starts. Uh, before you know things went awry at the end of last season. We'll see what happens for him uh, in round seven. Then the last name off the board, seven picks later in that seventh round, 256 overall, Jesse Lucchetta goes to the Arizona Cardinals. And uh, I know folks weren't surprised that I was the one who projected Jesse to go the highest. I think I had him going near the top of round five, but he does find a home. And I know he was in that territory where people start to say, hey, you're better off going on drafted. You can pick uh, where you want to go. You'll find the best fit. But you watch the footage of Jesse gathered with that community, and he calls it his village, and the reaction to hearing his name called, I, I think he appreciated getting picked in round seven. Yeah, and it was great to see what a team-first guy he was at Penn State. I mean, whatever they needed, he did. You know, you, you need a middle linebacker? Sure, I'm there. Uh, you, you need somebody to step in as a, as a, as a pass-rushing defensive end? Yeah, I'm there. And, and I think that's why a team takes a chance on him because, you know, unfortunately for him, uh, it looked like something happened to him running his 40 at the at the uh, combine. And it wasn't anywhere near what I think he can run. Uh, but but I do think I think he's another one of these guys that keeps saying it because it's so important that if you're able to contribute on special teams, you have an opportunity to do it. And that's where I go back to that team first attitude. Hey, anything that that James Franklin and the staff asked him to do he was willing to do. And I think that mentality is going to give him the opportunity to get something done uh, in, in Arizona. I, I think the real key is where are they going to play him? I mean, do, do you use him as a linebacker? Uh, do, 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 do you focus on him being a pass rusher? I think they have to figure out what his, his strengths are and kind of work to that. And hopefully he gets an opportunity to stick. It's easy to say that it's, it, you know, oh, it's, it's better for you to be undrafted when, when you're not the one who has been yeah. uh, working, working for that for your entire life. Um, so that, that footage was really cool. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, kind of like what Mark said, it'll be interesting to see what Arizona's plan uh, is for Jesse. That That's something that they're going to have to know how they want to use him and put him in the spot where he can kind of develop, get his feet under him um, and, and find a home on that defense. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, they'll, they'll get these guys on their franchise campuses, put them through the ringer physically, even more so than they did leading up to the draft, figure out who these guys are from a physical standpoint, and then start to get into them mentally uh, and athletically as they go through mini camps, rookie camps. And I just took a peek, guys, on the Cardinals official website. They've got Jesse Lucetta listed as an outside linebacker. Who knows how that holds up through the next few weeks, few months of his career, but that's at least where they list him initially on that roster. So that's it for the draft class. Eight guys in total selected. Again, that's the highest for Penn State since 1996. I'm just going to uh, uh, rattle off the names here uh, for the undrafted free agent guys. Uh, and, and Mark, I'll throw it to you. Take it wherever you want. Daniel, take it wherever you want. And then we'll jump into the athletic director conversation. But Derek Tangelo was off, uh, was off that free agent market really fast. He'll be joining Arnold Abiquete with the Atlanta Falcons. Ellis Brooks follows Rasheed Walker to the Green Bay Packers. Offensive lineman Eric Wilson lands with the New Orleans Saints. And then Matt Rule wasn't done with Penn State's roster just yet. After drafting Brandon Smith, he signs uh, the speedster and the special teams ace, Drew Hartlob, and John Lovett, uh, who participated at Baylor's Pro Day, but of course wrapped up his college career uh, here in Happy Valley. Yeah, I mean, uh, listen, the the fun thing now is we could become fans of these guys. I mean, we had to be objective when they were at Penn State. And I, right now, I'm a gigantic Drew Hartlob fan. I mean, uh, this is a great it's a big band. It's a crowded bandwagon. Mark. I know, I know. But it's, <laughs> uh, if he's able to pull it off, I mean, it. this will be s- such a great thing. Because when you talk about team first guys, I mean, he was outstanding as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a cover man. I mean, he was in the middle of everything. He was tremendous. And I just, you know, for him to take that specialty – and become as good as he was at it. And then he gets his opportunity at Pro Day, and I don't have the numbers in front of me. Maybe you guys could help me out. But his numbers at Pro Day were insane. And for him to take advantage of that, I'm just really hoping he gets the opportunity to stick with that team because that will be another one of these really cool stories where you know a guy's a walk-on, is a team first player gets his opportunities and takes advantage of them. So that's, he's the guy, you know, I'm pulling for all these guys, but I am really pulling for Harlow. Yeah. Four, two, two forties aren't, aren't really walking around too much. Uh, So I think that that's a a trait that I think speed translates Um, in terms of Harlow. It'll be kind of cool to follow because he had such kind of a, a niche skill in terms of being a gunner, being able to get down there on coverage 
being able to be in the right spot to down those punts uh, inside the five. I think at Pro Day, Jordan Stout said that any team that asked him the question, who's one guy from your current team that you could bring with you? Stout said he told 29 teams that he would take Hartlov with him, uh, which I think is a, a pretty ringing endorsement from from a punter like Stout. So I think Hartlov will be just kind of cool to follow because it is a niche skill that I think translates. Um, but given how the the rosters are different um, and kind of what exactly the Panthers will be looking for, that, that'll be worth following. And then I think Tangelo is the the other undrafted guy that that stands out to me because down the stretch last year, he was he was good uh, after Mustafa went out. He was kind of he was able to be disruptive. He was able to make some plays, be in the right spot. I thought that he might get drafted in the seventh round. I, I had him as, as the ninth guy. Um, but I think the fact that he was so quickly uh, snapped up by the Falcons, I, I think bodes well. And kind of like I said earlier, when talking about Eva Katie, that's a roster that needs a lot of help in a lot of areas. And I think that he'll have a pathway to, to carving out a role there. Yeah, I was drawing a blank, I... Tyler. Uh, Dan Chisena, the guy who who went to the Vikings and is, is stuck with the team, is is a great example and a great uh, you know kind of role model for Hartlob. And that 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 can be done. You can be a special teams guy and make a roster. Yeah, something I've mentioned though before, uh, the comparison there is is he does not have the physical stature that Chisena brought to the NFL. It's six foot three, and uh, I'm not sure exactly how much Chisena weighed, but I'd be surprised if Hartlob's a full five ten, maybe five eleven. Um, they've got him at six foot three, two hundred pounds, Dan Chisena. So that's a lot of size to combine with the speed, but. Like you said, four two twos does so come along often, and it's not like he was sitting around on the sideline watching Penn State play. This guy was out there chasing down, playing fetch with Jordan Stout, as you just said. So uh, we'll see where it take where it goes from here. Uh, by the way, I didn't even like realize the draft was over when I saw that it was reported that Tangelo was signed. That happened so fast. He got a fifty five thousand uh, dollar guaranteed deal, according to reports as well. So worked out pretty well for him in terms of, of players who did not hear their name called. Somewhere between rounds one and two of the NFL draft, Penn State introduced a new athletic director. Uh, big secret uh, that we discussed openly th- on two episodes last week of the podcast. Pat Kraft uh, is the choice coming from Boston College. Spent the last couple of years up there in Boston. He'll be wrapping things up there and starting on the new job here in Happy Valley on July 1st. We mentioned uh, his, his background. He took over as Temple's athletic director at 37 years old. He's now 44. Uh, Mark? Uh, Daniel, you were both in the press room for this press conference. I did not get enough notice to find a babysitter, so I didn't join you. Of course, I was watching from home. Mark, let's start with you. You've seen your fair share of introductory press conferences in that room. What stood out about this one? What stood out was that everybody knew who was going to be, and we got an hour and a half (laughs) heads up on on the press conference. Thank God I live five minutes away from the stadium. We were walking out, and I think Daniel had a really good – we had a really good line, Daniel. I'm stealing your line, but yeah, you know, I think he won the press conference. Obviously, I mean the 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 way that he came about, and I don't mean this as a negative toward Sandy Barber, but it, it's true. I mean, she's been nice enough to do our Nitwit show with us, and has always been you know good in interview situations. But there's sort of an aloofness there, and you could take that whatever way you want. But she kind of the the, the way she talks with people. It isn't as if you're, you know, hanging out, you know, whatever. This guy, Kraft, he comes across as if he's like your buddy. You know what I mean? Uh, and and I'm, I'm real anxious to get an opportunity to see him in different interview situations to see if that is kind of, you know, the authentic uh, Pat Kraft. But I just think the way he carried himself at that press conference was terrific. I think he hit on all the right notes. 
you know, anymore, you really have to un have an understanding as an athletic director how important college football programs are. Why? Because if you want to have 31 or 32 sports, you better have a strong football program that's going to generate enough revenue to support all of those sports. Yeah, there are other sports. Uh, well, men's basketball makes a little, some money. The wrestling, I think, is kind of self-sufficient. But you need a strong football program. And I think what we've seen from where he's been, he gets that. He understands that, you know, both at Temple and B.C., that that is one of the real key things. Uh, and I think from our perspective, we, we, you know, being somebody who covers Penn State football, I think the fact that the AD knows that I think is a positive for us because if that team's better, it's going to be more fun to cover. So uh, I thought he did really well. And I also thought the president came across. I mean, I couldn't imagine Eric Barron, you know, cracking jokes. <laughs> you know, I thought she was pretty funny saying, you know, basically m making it seem as if nobody knew who it was, you know, tongue in cheek. Uh, but I thought both of them came across well. And, you know, at, at first sight, it seems like a good hire for Penn State. Yeah, but between Pat Craft and Neely Bendapudi, I mean, it, it felt like there was a lot of kind of self-awareness um, up on up on the podium in terms of the the jokes and kind of the nodding towards the you know relative absurdity of the situation that we knew who it was, but kind of had to do the run up to it. But no, I mean, I'd agree with everything Mark said. Um, I think that Pat Kraft knows what he's getting into and he knows how he wants to do things and, and what he, what he needs to do um, in this athletic department. He kind of talked about during his time at Temple being in the, in the shadow of Penn state and, Obviously, he has the Matt Rule connection that came up um, a couple times in terms of using Matt Rule as a sounding board when talking about this job. Um, so I think that he's someone who is, even though it's been from kind of a distance and through someone like Matt Rule, I think that Pat Kraft is someone who's who's really familiar um, with with this program, with this athletic department. Obviously, on the inside, things look different than they do from the outside. Um, but it's clear that this is the type of job that someone like him has been working towards. I mean, he called it the mountaintop. I got very emotional when talking about being at this point in his career. It seems like a destination job for him, um, even though he is only 44 years old. So it it was a, it was a it was a good press conference um, in terms of the energy, what you were hearing. Um, Afterwards, I went through some old notes uh, from my old job when I was in Philly. I went to Jeff Collins's introductory press conference uh, in 2016 after Matt Rule left Temple. And looking through the craft quotes then, it, it's kind of the, the same thing, kind of making the, the similar jokes. I think that he talks about getting lost in the hotel uh, at Penn State because it had been so busy. Uh, in 2016, he was joking about needing more coffee. Um, just kind of the, the energy is there and it, it's clear that he's been kind of the, the same person as he's risen through the ranks. He has some self-deprecating humor. And I think that that kind of disarms people when you're around them. It, it's helpful, I think. And, and just ultimately, clearly he has, you know, looking back, he was at Temple. He talked about, you know, looking toward looking west to this campus with, you know, kind of like we want to beat you. We want to find a way to climb up to you. And then he talked about coming here with a not so good Indiana squad and getting beaten in Beaver Stadium and lining up to shake Joe Paterno's hand, then getting stranded at the airport in State College, staying overnight in some kind of conference room, and then Joe Paterno showing up at 6 a.m. on a Sunday morning and say, hey, guys, I'm sorry about this. First off, I've been around campus now for, I think, five years, and, and people have incredibly varying opinions on this. I know that's no shocker, but that was about as much – 
anecdotal Joe Paterno story I've heard from anyone here at Penn State since I showed up in 2017. You know, there's a there's a funny uh, a funny story after that for people who don't know. Uh, Brad Spider Caldwell, the uh, former Penn State equipment guy, you know, now is a member of the athletic department, works uh, in Beaver Stadium. And after the whole press conference was over, Daniel, I'm not sure if you were there for this part or not. Uh, his office, Spider's office, is up top. So if you ever look in, in, at the Beaver Stadium media room and you see Franklin looking up, that's where the recruits usually are. Well, his uh, his office is up there. Well, Spider has like a billion great stories and he has a mind like a steel trap. Uh, so I said, what conference room was he talking about? Do you remember? <laughs> He's like, oh yeah, it was they stayed at the Ramada and there were, all the Ramada's rooms were booked. They had their rooms on Friday and then all the rooms were booked by fans for Saturday night. So they drove back to the Ramada and had to stay in a, a giant conference room at the Ramada. For anybody who's ever been at the Ramada, they have like big a big area where they have weddings and stuff. And that's where Joe showed up at 6 a.m. And yeah, I think that was a pretty classy act on Paterno's part. But I just wanted to throw that little anecdote from Spider, who remembered actually that happening uh, way back in the day and the fact that it was at the Ramada. So that's where it was. Because I'm thinking, where were they? The conference room at the airport? Like, where, where do they put them? And they just, nope, they bust them back to the Ramada. Well, people are hearing us, you know, the stories and the jokes are great, but what about the, the mission? What, what is he going to do on campus? And naturally, NIL was a hot topic. If you're paying any attention to college athletics right now, everyone's talking about it. Everyone has a take on it. And he says you got to be motivated to, to be active. And, and he understands the importance of fundraising. And I'd imagine, considering the alumni base he's now inheriting as, as an athletic director, that process should be a lot easier than what he was able to maybe achieve at some, some last stops. But in terms of NIL, he also said it, sharks are in the water was the phrase he used. So there's a lot of people being taken advantage of the athletes. He kept saying athletes are going to come first for us. Athletes are going to come first. And that was really where he circled back to with the NIL. They want to dive into it as much as they possibly can without crossing the line to where you are no longer keeping the athlete's best interest at, at heart. And, you know, I think the tricky part is who is it to determine what the athlete's best interest is? Is it the athlete? Is it the university? The NCAA is certainly struggling with it. Is it the parents? Is it the uncles? Is it the friends? There are a lot of ways of the NIL you can be pulled. Uh, and I think it's really interesting. We didn't get a ton of clarity, but basically he's going to hit this job running in terms of knocking on doors, making phone calls, figuring out who's ready to step up to the plate. And if they're not ready to step up to the plate yet and provide financially for what this college football universe requires and what James Franklin has talked about it requiring, then why aren't they willing to do it? And those are the things I think he's going to have to try to build some bridges, figure out what is the missing component, what is preventing people from taking a step up and trying to find a way to bridge that gap. Yeah, I think he also acknowledged that it's rapidly evolving. I mean, that's going to mm -hmm. be one of the real keys is as an athletic director, staying ahead of the game or at least staying even with the game uh, because it seems like there are different twists and turns coming you know, every week with this stuff. So uh, th th those acknowledgments are good, but let's see what it's like in practice. I mean, he doesn't get here till is it July 1st? Uh, but so he's going to have to hit the ground running because there are a lot of things, and NIL is one of them, that they really have – have to make up some ground and, and and you know try as best they can to stay ahead of the game yeah i thought that he was a little prescient in talking about some of the the nil and, and transfer portal stuff uh before that conversation really exploded um i think over the weekend with with some of the developments so yeah i mean i think that what he does in nil is kind of the 
I think that's the, the biggest unknown kind of, you know, coming into this program, uh, we talked about it a little bit uh, on Friday where the football coach is on a long-term extension. There's a brand new basketball coach, men's basketball coach, uh, before they approved his contract on Friday morning, the, the Board of Trustees Subcommittee on Compensation uh, approved a women's basketball uh, contract extension. So there's a lot of things that are sort of, I think, settled. Obviously, there's a lot of questions because there are so many sports at Penn State, but you kind of have those those top positions are kind of filled and that's kind of where you go from there. So I think NIL kind of is that, you know, that, I don't know, 1A, 1B, 1C, however you want to rank it. Uh, priority for him and he said that he's going to spend may uh tying up the loose ends at boston college he'll spend june kind of positioning himself uh at penn state and then july 1st that's when he wants to get going so it'll be interesting to see kind of what he does uh off the bat and of course that's in two months so who knows what nil will actually look like when we get to july 1st yeah and tyler i don't think it was a coincidence that he dropped kale sanderson's name multiple times because that guy is the coach at Penn State. I mean, uh, listen, I, 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 I'm the first guy to say that football pays the bills, uh, but that guy is, to me, the best coach in sports right now. So they got to make sure that with whatever extensions they're dealing with, make sure that that guy's taken care of because he's gotten a job done, been a tremendous representative of Penn State. And I again, I don't think it was a coincidence that he dropped Kale's name uh, multiple times. Everybody up there realizes how valuable that guy is. He called him the goat. He said Kale's the goat. So, yeah, I think he's he's on board with your train of thought. Of course, though, you did just lock up your head football coach to a very large, very long extension. It's the centerpiece of this uh, athletic department. He acknowledged that. You've got to make sure the football is right if you want everything else to survive. 31 total programs. Touched on basketball a little bit. You both covered the basketball program last year. Uh, we have full coverage of this, and I mean full coverage, uh, coming out of Friday. Uh, a lot of it got buried in the draft coverage over the weekend, but go to lions247.com and get to know more about the new athletic director. Uh, we had a full kind of rundown of top takeaways from his press conference, video of that press conference, and Daniel uh, wrote about the kind of the personal importance and, and what this moment meant to him in his ascension at 44 years old as the athletic director for Penn State. We're going to play a clip right now from the end of the press conference that I felt like punctuates this conversation pretty well. And if you missed any of it and you didn't hear it, uh, you know, you'll get a little bit of a sense of, of what the new AD is all about. We came in, um, the old we, the Indiana we, came in and played Jay's team. And um, uh, it was probably my senior year. And we're, we're driving, or I wasn't, um, my mom and dad um, were uh, driving in. And my, my dad, um, leaned over to my mom and said, you know, get ready. We're about to enter the method of college sports. And um, my dad passed it years ago. But he's right. He, we was right. And he is looking down, getting himself ready for the whiteout. <laughs> um, but he is right. This is the mountaintop. All right, so let's jump into our five-star mailbag. We've covered the athletic director edition. We've covered the NFL draft. This one wants us to look at the next NFL draft. And isn't that kind of the theme of the Monday following the draft? It's way too early uh, next draft season. And so that's where we land with this mailbag question. He says, I get that it's way too early to know anything for sure. 
but who figures to be a top 2023 NFL draft prospect from Penn State? Several guys come to mind, of course, but Daniel, you went out and scoured the internet on Monday for these mock drafts that are just going to look absolutely obliterated come next spring. Uh, but God bless you. I mean, one thing that popped up, if you hadn't noticed uh, on Twitter, folks, was Will Levis is being projected in some corners as a top 10 draft pick and say what you will about it. But that, that's that's an interesting nugget at the very least that popped up. But you saw the same name out of Penn State continually popping up in some of these first round projections. Yep, that would be cornerback Joey Porter Jr. Uh, projected anywhere in the, I think, six or seven that I rounded up from number 16 to the Eagles to number 31 to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, I think that that kind of tracks with what we have kind of seen out of Porter. If he were to hit a ceiling uh, back half of the first round, obviously he has all the physical tools. Uh, he's got long arms uh, as, as people like to talk about uh, he's athletic um, and it's just kind of comes down to consistency. Um, I think that he's someone where if he comes in next year and turns in an all big 10 type season maybe he's closer in that 10 to 20 range but uh, it was interesting to see his name pop up uh, I think the there's a new mock draft from Dane Brugler uh, who does a you know great job at the athletic this morning who has he had Joey Porter number 20 um, and I think that that kind of seems firmly in the range um, I will say there was one other mock draft uh, that had Parker Washington uh, in the first round at number 25. Uh, which I thought was interesting because um, when you look at when you look at this Penn State roster right now, I think Porter is the one who jumps off to you, uh, and then after that, maybe Jair Brown. But it's going to be a lot of guys that are going to have the opportunity to to boost their stock uh, and kind of put themselves in this conversation if they're not in it now. Yeah, I was I just looking Keith- at my roster here, Tyler, and uh, yeah. after the blue white game, we were down on the field, and they list Joey Porter Jr. at six two. And he was walking along Caden Wallace, alongside Caden Wallace, who's listed at 6'5". Now, I'm not saying Joey Porter's 6'5", but he's taller than 6'2". I mean, I, he is long. I mean, I, it's we didn't have as much opportunity to be around these guys last year, so to be able to be down on the field there after the game, uh, it was pretty interesting. Listen, a, a note, Penn State's never had a defensive back taken in the first round. Almost mind-boggling to, to think that that's happened. And if he's able to break that, I think it would be uh, big. You know, he's another one of those guys. I think rightfully so, uh, Tig uh, Jair Brown has gotten a lot of publicity for his his decision to come back. I think Terry Smith said he was their biggest, you know, recruit or something like that. Uh, but Joey Porter Jr.'s decision, I think, was, was equally big. I think that's going to be big for this team. If you can fly under the radar at his height, uh, yeah, I mean, he has all those physical tools and – uh, with the NFL pedigree, obviously, if he, if, if I think he's going to be the guy who ends up breaking that uh, streak, you know, knock on wood, let's hope he stays healthy. But if he does, I think he has all the skills to, to be the first Penn State DB to go in the first round. I really think that PJ Mustafer was marching his way toward a strong, strong draft stock. I think he would have done very well for himself in the combine. And I know for a fact that he would absolutely crush the interviews with the people who make the decisions on draft day. Those are things that are still going to – he's still going to be that guy next year when those meetings happen and those interviews happen. The key is will he be back at full force and then some because that's a scary proposition for the teams that Penn State's going to play. 
it's great news for Manny Diaz, and it's really good news potentially for PJ Mustafer's bank account come next year. Uh, I, I hope it works out because uh, I, I, the way he was playing, you look at the stat sheet, and and I hope people don't because they, they try to figure out who PJ Mustafer was based on the stat sheet. That's not what it was about in a lot of ways last year. He was playing at a very high level, and he was a second team All Big Ten pick based on half a season and just a couple Big Ten matchups. So. He's the guy that I go to as kind of maybe we're forgetting a little bit right now, out of sight, out of mind, that could come back. In terms of younger players, uh, not necessarily that young anymore, uh, but guys who, you know, they got to have a big jump of a season to validate even leaving. But two guys that come to mind is Adiza Isaac, uh, because I think just one big year at the edge rusher position, the way that it's prioritized, that's all. That's that's enough. That That's enough to get you off to the next level. Uh, and, and he's coming off a of torn Achilles, so there's some questions to be answered there. But it sounds like, all spring, he has been a step ahead of the curve and what they anticipated. That can maintain, and he can be a, a major sack producer for them, a guy who can wreak some havoc and kind of pick up where Arnold Libicetti left off. I think he's going to be in good shape to make a decision. Uh, and the other is Theo Johnson. I don't know what the tight end usage is going to be, but when I look around that room, you could see any of these. You could see Brent Strange, maybe even Tyler Warren creep up and, and be the leader in receptions in that group. But when I think about who's going to maybe put together some stats and some highlights and then attach that and go to the combine and potentially be at the top of that tight end pecking order. I think Theo Johnson has the arsenal athletically to be that kind of guy where you look beyond the stats and production a little bit and kind of think what he could do over the draft process. I'm sure James Franklin doesn't want us tantalizing his younger players uh, to the draft. These guys have a bunch of eligibility left, but those are some names that come up and, and uh, you know, again, a year from now, a guy like Curtis Jacobs, could he explode and take off? Uh, you know, I think a guy like Keandre Lambert-Smith, could he go off and, and he's, he's going to go out and, and crush it in the combine format too. But in terms of what we know about players, I'd hang my hat on P.J. Mustafer if he's healthy, uh, being being that kind of a top talent, Jair Brown, uh, in that conversation too. And I think the two players with maybe the highest ceiling, Adiza Isaac, Theo Johnson. Yeah, you know who else I would throw out there is Juice Scruggs. He mm. seems like a young player, but he's been around, and I think he got better and better and better as last season went along. I think he's going to be really good this year. Um, yeah, I think he's a guy who can do it. One other thing about P.J. Mustafer, you know, you talked about how he'll crush it in interviews. Wasn't one of the coolest things ever that – what was it prior to the bowl? He decided to hold a press conference, even though he wasn't making an announcement and even though he wasn't going to play. I think he just wanted to talk to us. And he's just been a joy to cover. And, you know, I actually had the opportunity, and I think you did too, Tyler, uh, to talk to him way back during the recruiting process. He was at one of the Nike camps in New Jersey. And, and uh, talking to him then, you knew he had that personality. And just to see where that has all developed, I, again, I just thought it was – I never had seen a player who was injured and out for the year – just decide to have a press conference. Yeah, PJ, are you coming back? Haven't made that decision yet. Uh, but just talked about being a leader and, and, and all of those things. And that's what have we heard one time after another from teammates, from coaches, is that even when he wasn't playing, how important he was to that team. And when you talk about things that differentiate, when, when NFL teams are, are doing their research, those are the kind of questions they ask. Hey, what was this guy like when he was out? Was he moping or was he still a team leader? And every one of those coaches and players, anybody that they talk to are going to give a glowing report. And even if they talk to the media, we'd say, hey, listen, this guy held a press conference, didn't even have to do it. So, uh, yeah, uh, P.J. Mustafer, hope, knock on wood, hope he's, he's, he's completely healthy because I think he has a chance to make, have a big year. I think he was second team All Big Ten even though he missed all of those games. 
He was. He was. Yeah. And his, his older his older brother, Sam, captain material as well over <laughs> at Notre Dame, ended up uh, becoming a starter with the Chicago Bears. Uh, Daniel, I think we're going to run on that. Anything else to add? Uh, we've gone an hour. Normally, we'd have like one episode dedicated to the draft, one episode dedicated to an athletic director introduction. They both happened to happen on the same weekend. So we threw a lot your way. Uh, anything else to shout out? You'll, of course, be back here uh, sooner rather than later and, and pretty frequently over the course of your tenure with Lions 24-7. No, it's been, uh, it's been a busy uh, and fun start to the time at Lions 24-7. Uh, it's been nice to get to know everyone uh, over on the message boards and uh, looking forward to having a lot more bylines on the site over the next couple of weeks, months, and uh, beyond that. Excellent. So are we. Well, Mark, Daniel, really appreciate you guys hopping on. As always, thanks to our producer, Lance Glenn. Until next time. Oh, Mark, you got one oh, thing to add. Hey, uh, no, I'm not going to be on later this week. I wanted to wish all the moms out there a happy Mother's Day, especially the new moms. Okay? How's that? Especially the new moms, but all the moms out there, have a great Mother's Day this weekend. I, uh, Hillary appreciates that. Uh, and, and so we'll, we'll be back on Thursday. Brian Doan will be with us. So we're going to shift over to recruiting a lot to cover there for Penn State. Stay with us in the Lions 24-7 podcast. I'm Tyler Donahue. We'll talk to you real soon. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo. Thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.